Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. I'm sure all of us have seen time-lapse videos. They're the videos that are recorded over a long period of time, but when you play them back, they're played super fast. You can have a building project, for example, and it may take many months to build, but on a time-lapse video, you can watch the whole thing happen right in front of your eyes in just a few seconds. I want you to imagine this morning there was a time-lapse video of your entire life. From the moment you were born to your very last breath, every moment was recorded and then played to you on a time-lapse. I think that would be fascinating. You would start as this tiny, helpless little baby, but before you know it, you'd be up and walking around. Then you'd be at school and graduating, and then you'd become a fully-fledged adult. You'd see yourself in your workplace. You might get married and have kids. You would watch them grow right in front of your eyes, and perhaps they'd get married as well. And then the last part of the video would be you getting older. You might see yourself at your retirement party. You might downsize your house, have grandkids of your own. And then you start to get older and weaker. You might end up being ill in a hospital bed with visitors coming and going. And then all of a sudden, your eyes close for the last time. You breathe your last breath and your life ends. But the video keeps rolling and the funeral home arrives and they collect your body and your funeral happens with all of your friends and family. And the last thing you see is your casket being lowered into the ground. I've conducted funerals and been there for many of those moments and they feel so final. But I want you to imagine now that we replayed that time lapse to you in reverse. Now that would be really interesting. It would be like a resurrection of sorts. You would come right back up out of the ground. You would be taken back to the hospital and eventually your eyes would open and you would start to breathe again. And as the video continued, you'd get up from that bed, you'd walk out of the hospital and you would progressively become stronger and healthier. Let me tell you, that is God's will for you in Christ Jesus when it comes to your spiritual life. And this is what Ephesians has been teaching us so far. And the ironic thing is that the time-lapse video in reverse would be a more accurate depiction of our spiritual journey than the one that goes forward. Because all of us spiritually start in the grave. We are born into sin, and then as our life goes on, we add to that sin ourselves. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the punishment for that sin is separation from Him forever. Apart from Jesus, we are dead, and we will remain dead apart from Him. From him. As verse 12 says in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, we were without hope and without God in the world. But when the Holy Spirit does a work in your heart and you accept Jesus into your life, you are resurrected from death to life. You are literally pulled up from the grave that your sin has placed you in. Your hopelessness is replaced with a hope and a future. We're no longer separated from our Creator, but we are brought back into relationship with Him through Christ. As Adam said last week, you were dead, but God. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you need to know this morning that he has resurrected you from spiritual death to spiritual life, now and for all eternity. This is the great news of Christianity. As we turn to the second half of Ephesians 2 and the first half of chapter 3 this morning, Paul explains to us some of the reasons we can live in the power of that good news. 
And the first one is that Jesus tears down walls. A few years ago, I had the privilege of traveling to the Middle East, where I spent time in Israel and also Jordan and on the West Bank. And most of us would know there's an awful, ongoing and highly complex conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. And so in between Israel and the West Bank, there is a giant concrete wall. It's twice the height of the Berlin Wall that separates Israel from all of their neighbors. The time I spent on the West Bank was fascinating. And one of the parts I loved was the graffiti artwork on the Palestinian side of the wall. It's going to come up on the screen for you to have a look at. But it's the kind of graffiti you need a permit for. Some of it was really funny and clever, but a lot of it was very political. But I think the most powerful part of the wall for me was the plaques that are attached all the way along the wall, telling stories of the impact this giant wall has had on everyday people who live in that area. Some of them had had their olive groves cut literally in half, where the wall was built right through the middle of them so they can no longer harvest their olives or even enter their olive groves and their business has been completely lost. One particularly sad story was of a brother and sister who'd worked hard for many years to build a house right next to one another, only for the giant eight metre wall to be built right in between their houses, meaning that now it's very difficult for them to even see each other. This is what walls do. They divide, they separate, they keep people apart, they create an us and a them, and they hinder relationships. Some of you would be aware that I'm a carpenter by trade. I spent about 11 years working on a building site, and it was always fun building stuff. But most of our work was extensions and renovations, and they nearly always required us to first do some demolition. And I've got to say, I used to love demolition day. When you grabbed hold of the sledgehammer, there was something therapeutic about tearing things down, smashing walls. Now, when we think of Jesus, we often think of Jesus meek and mild, and there were times when he was definitely that. But if that's all we think of him, we're missing so much of who he was as a person. Because Jesus is the ultimate demolisher. He demolishes strongholds. He pulls down lies. He removes obstacles that seem immovable to us. In his own words, he said he came to destroy the works of the enemy. And in this passage, it says he's torn down a dividing wall of hostility that kept people apart. It was the dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. We're going to pick it up this morning in verse 11 of Ephesians 2. It says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, that's non-Jewish people, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember, and listen to this language, that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel, and you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But here's those magnificent words again, verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If we're going to understand this passage, we need to rewind back to the beginning of the nation of Israel. We find that beginning in Genesis chapter 12, where God called a guy called Abram. Not because Abram was a superstar or anything special, but simply because of God's grace and according to his plan for humanity. And so God calls Abram and he made extraordinary promises to him. He said, Abram, I'm going to make your name great. You'll have as many descendants as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. 
You will become a great nation and I will bless you. But the most important part of the promise is found at the end of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God said, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, if we miss that part of the promise, we can completely misread the entire narrative of Scripture. Because God blessed Abram for a purpose. His people became the nation of Israel, and their role was to be a blessing to all people on earth. But the sad story of the Old Testament is that we see over time that they failed to live their mission. God said over and over again to them that if they obeyed his commands, if they didn't bow down to false gods, if they showed justice to their neighbours, they would live in his extraordinary promises. But over and over and over again, they failed to do so. Their journey was riddled with idolatry and disobedience and injustice towards their neighbours. And not only that, they also started to see themselves as superior and separate to everyone else. God's people constructed this huge metaphorical wall of division between them and the rest of the world. And it becomes clear in the Old Testament that they started to see themselves as in and everyone else was out when it came to relationship with God. They saw themselves as holy and everyone else was unholy. They were chosen. Everyone else was not chosen. Clean and unclean, special and ordinary, valuable, worthless, saved and not saved. In relationship with God, but everyone else they saw as separated from relationship with God. This is a story of much of the Old Testament. God's chosen people built a wall between them and everyone else. But remember back to Genesis chapter 12 verse 3. Because that was not what God called them to do. He called them to be a blessing to all nations. It wasn't meant to be a wall that shut people out. It was meant to be a mission to invite people in. So when Jesus came, a Jewish man, an Israelite, he did what Israel had always failed to do. Jesus lived a life of faultless obedience to his father. He fulfilled the law perfectly. And he lived a life of justice and compassion to the outsider, to the poor, and to the lost. So the very people who had been shut out were the same people that Jesus spent time with. The Pharisees in the New Testament, they constantly shut people out. But Jesus, he just kept inviting them in, and the Pharisees hated him for that. Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, Jesus was true Israel. He did perfectly what Israel was never able to do. And as such, he inherited all the promises of God. And so the great news for all those who put their faith in Jesus is that we also inherit all the promises that have been made, not because of our ancestry or our nationality or where we were born, but we inherit the promises of God by faith. First to the Jew, but now also to the Gentile, both grafted in as the people of God by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Romans 10, verse 11 says, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Now, I think this passage in Ephesians reminds us of the depth of Jesus' character and purpose. Because the same meek and mild Jesus also at times picked up a sledgehammer. And Jesus in this passage took the sledgehammer to the dividing wall of hostility that had been built between Jew and Gentile and he brought it crashing down. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. You know, this is a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture. Jesus tears down the walls that separate us not only from him, but also from one another. He has made us one in him, the people of God from every tribe and nation and tongue, inherited all of his grace and every one of his promises for the future. What started with a people has now extended to all people. What started with one land has now spread over the whole entire earth. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Galatians 3 is one of the most pivotal passages in the New Testament. Verse 28 and verse 29 say this. They say there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, one of the saddest things throughout church history and in the church today is that Christians have constantly and still continue to try to rebuild the walls of separation that Jesus tore down. Whether it's between Jew and Gentile, keeping us separate from one another, sometimes it's between men and women, rich and poor, black or white, Christian and non-Christian, us and them. We separate ourselves from one another when Jesus died to bring us together. You see, Jesus tears down walls. But this passage goes on to tell us that he also builds a house. Jesus builds a household. You know, demolition day was always fun on the building site, but it left a mess that needed to be replaced with something new. The destroying of an old wall was always replaced with the building of something new. And this is what Jesus did for us. He tore down the dividing wall of hostility that kept people apart to replace it with a household where we could be one new humanity as the people of God. Verse 19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is absolutely stunning. When Jesus tore down a wall, he didn't leave a mess. He constructed something new. A wall was replaced with a house. A house where we're no longer outsiders, 
where we're not foreigners and strangers, but instead we are fellow citizens, God's people and members of his household. It's a place where we belong. You know, I sensed last night in prayer that some of you watching may feel like you don't belong. We live in a world where isolation is so prevalent. And maybe you feel isolated from other people. Maybe you feel like, you know what, I could never truly be loved. I've made so many mistakes. I've hurt people. I've let people down. I just don't fit. Well, if that's what you're sensing this morning, I want to tell you that God's inviting you this morning to be part of his family today by putting your faith in Jesus. And as we put our faith in Jesus, we are united as one around Jesus as the forgiven, chosen, redeemed people of God. This house is built on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets. You see, the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied Jesus. The apostles of the New Testament proclaimed Jesus. They all pointed to Jesus because it's Jesus who holds us together. In this household, Jesus is the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the most important stone in a masonry structure. It's usually the first stone that is laid and everything else is held together and dependent on that stone. God's plan for humanity has always rested on Jesus, the cornerstone. In him, this beautiful household that we are part of by faith is all held together and it rises to become a place where God is honored and worshipped as God fills us with his Holy Spirit. And the cornerstone may be the most important part of the house, but every part of a structure is important. And if you've accepted Jesus this morning, you need to know that you are part of that house, a unique, important, necessary, and precious part of God's household. Jesus replaced the wall of hostility with something new and magnificent. We are a new humanity in him, and through his death and resurrection on the cross, he has made a way for us to be part of that. As part of that house, he's given us a sense of purpose and a mission. And our mission is that we invite people in. Let's pick it up at verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence." 
The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, was transformed by this Jesus he writes about. And he was adopted into this household that we're reading about. And he spent the rest of his life traveling the known world, telling everyone he could about the good news of Jesus. He particularly focused on the Gentiles who had been consistently shut out. And he wanted them to know about the boundless riches that they could also find in Christ. He says in verse 12 that God's intent is that through the church, his manifold wisdom should be known throughout all of creation. You know, I love that we often talk about being created in the image of God. Because when we know that we're created in the image of God, it gives us a sense of identity. There's a God-likeness about us that is reflected in who we are. But what we often don't talk about is that we're also created as the image of God. And when we know that we're created as the image of God, it reminds us of our purpose. We are created as the image of God so that people would see him in us. We are to be fruitful and multiply that image everywhere we go to go and make disciples of all nations. You know, the word Christian comes from a Greek word, which is Christianos. And it just means this, little Christ. The word Christian was first used as an insult that the opponents of Jesus would throw at his disciples because their lifestyle made it so clear and unmistakable that they were followers of Christ. Now, the irony of that, of course, is that what was meant to be an insult is actually the greatest compliment we could ever be given, that Jesus would be seen in us by the world around us. But the truth is, if we're going to carry that name, we need to make sure that we do reflect his character. You know, what I've noticed over the years is that the religious build walls, but the righteous give invites. The religious build walls that shut people out with all their rules and regulations, but the righteous give invites to welcome people in. If you look at Jesus' life in the Gospels, his life was characterized by this kind of living. His earthly ministry was full of times where he invited people in, and I think it should characterize our ministry as well. As a carpenter, I destroyed walls and I helped to build houses. And so often the culmination of all that work was that the members of the household would often ask us and others to enjoy a housewarming where they invited us and other people in to enjoy their home. You know, I was thinking about that this week and it occurred to me that our role as citizens of heaven and members of the household of God isn't to build walls that shut people out but it's to facilitate a housewarming where we invite and welcome people in. Psalm 84 verse 10 tells us, Better is one day in God's house than a thousand elsewhere. Jeremiah tells us that God has plans for us to give us a hope and a future. Galatians reminds us that we have eternal life. Ephesians 1 says that we have a glorious inheritance. 1 Peter 5 tells us that we have an eternal glory. And Jesus himself reminds us, that his father's house has many rooms and that he has gone to prepare a place for us and he will return to take us to be with him. I don't know about you, but I want all of my friends, all of my family, all the people of this community in Cadinia Shire to experience that joy and that hope. And so let's never be a church. Let's never be individuals that build walls that shut people out. You see, Jesus tears down walls. Jesus builds a household and our role is to invite and welcome people in. In this moment, I want to extend that invite to everyone watching this morning. 
I want to give you a moment to consider everything I've said. And as you do, I pray that the Spirit of God is working in your heart right where you're at this morning. And if you've never accepted what Jesus has done for you at the cross, I pray that today will be the day that you receive him as the Lord and Savior of your life. And as you do, you will enjoy this incredible household of God's people, a place where we all belong together in Christ, not because of what we've done or how good we've been. Regardless of our past and our mistakes, we can find a place to belong because Jesus paid the price for our sin at the cross. So I invite you to prayerfully consider that this morning. There's a prayer that's going to come up on the screen. And if God is speaking to you today, I'd encourage you to repeat this prayer. And today you can start that new journey of life and faith through Jesus. It'll be the greatest thing that will ever happen in your life. It's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And it's the greatest thing that's happened to so many of you watching this this morning. And so let's pray this prayer together. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place and offering new life through forgiveness of sin and relationship with you. Help me to rest in the knowledge of who you are and all you've done for me. Today I accept you as my Lord and Saviour and give my life to you. I put my hope and trust in all of your promises. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to represent you in the world around me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we'd love you to press the raise my hand button in the chat and one of our hosts can help you get started with this journey. We'd love to pray with you and just encourage you as you choose to follow Jesus. You know, this is an amazing day when someone gives their life to the Lord. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner turns to Jesus. And so if that's you today, I want to say congratulations. I look forward to meeting you and hearing about your journey. Thanks so much for joining us today, and I hope that you're being encouraged through the book of Ephesians. Thanks for tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.